Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. The standard route to success in modern life goes as follows. Work hard in high school, score high on your SAT, get into a good college, do well in your classes, get a good job. For some people, that path works, but for a lot of people, it leaves them disengaged and frustrated because it doesn't actually lead to a life of fulfillment. My guest today has spent his academic career studying individuals who have bucked the standard formula for achievement and found success on their own terms. His name is Todd Rose. He's a professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the co-author of the book, Dark Horse, Achieving Success in the Pursuit of Fulfillment. We begin our conversation discussing what Todd calls the standardization covenant, including how it developed to serve institutions rather than individuals, and why following the standard path often leads to frustration. Todd then explains his idea of an alternative Dark Horse covenant and what it looks like theoretically and in the lives of those who followed it. He then walks us through the steps that Dark Horses follows to find success and fulfillment on their own terms, including focusing on micro-motives to figure out where you fit, making decisive choices, creating your own options, and trying new strategies until you find something that works. We end our conversation with how Todd would like to see the dark horse dynamic incorporated into our educational system. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash dark horse. Todd joins me now via clearcast.io. All right, Todd Rose, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are a co-author of a book called Dark Horse, Achieving Success Through the Pursuit of Fulfillment. So the book's all about this. It's all about people who gain success through unconventional ways. Before that, let's juxtapose that with how people typically think or achieve success. You call this in the book, you call this path to success that we've all heard about, know about, and probably followed, the standardization covenant. What does the standardization covenant look like in your eyes? Well, I mean, when I think about what success looks like in our standardized systems, it is basically you try to, you know, the destination, you know what you're going to go after. You work really hard and you stay the course. You show grit, determination. And, but in the end, it really is about trying to compete to be the same as everybody else, only better. And it has very little to do with who you are and what you really care about. So you know, this is basically the path that's been set out for almost, I would say, 60, 70 years since the end of World War II, probably. You go to college, you get a job, you do really well at your job, you'll go up the hierarchy, and eventually you can retire with a gold watch and you know, <laughs> drive a Cadillac. Exactly. And, and by the way, like we call it a corporate ladder for a reason. There's there's a there's a one path and and you climb as high as you can go, but you're you're competing against everyone else for the exact same prize. And that corporate ladder goes all the way down to like you start learning this in elementary school. Like you understand like people get ranked in in certain orders based on how well you are. And as you said, everyone's doing the exact same thing, but they're just doing it better. Yeah. Well, and, and you know it's it's on purpose. So the idea of this standardization covenant is you know as a society at the beginning of the industrial age, we basically gave up on our individuality and we said, look, it's just more manageable if a few people control the system and we decide what the paths are like and what the criteria is and we can kind of manage it. We only need, say, three ballerinas or we need five engineers or whatever. It's less about you and what you're capable of and more about filling some preordained slots. Right. It's, it's for the, it, the standardization uh, was developed to benefit institutions like right. government, corporations, even if like a ballet could be an institution as well. You just need certain slots and we're going to look for the cream of the crop. Right. As they see it. Yeah. 
but while, while that's still going on, we still hear this talk about you need to find fulfillment in your work. And the standardization covenant talks about this, but they talk about it in different ways. How do you achieve fulfillment or you yeah. know, a sense of purpose within this where you're just doing what everyone else is doing, but only better? Yeah. I mean, it, I think everybody wants in an ideal world, they want to be successful and happy, right? They want to be, live fulfilled lives. And you know what we've been taught is that if you just fit the mold, climb the ladder, and actually achieve excellence within the system, that fulfillment comes as a consequence of that. You know, in some ways you can think, well, maybe that's true. If I'm excellent, I'll be fulfilled as well. But I think what we're seeing now is generations of people who have actually arrived at that place and realize, look, I, I, I made it according to society, but I'm deeply unhappy. I'm not fulfilled. And so I think the game is up. Yeah, you've, I think everyone's met those people who have achie- who've achieved success in their field. Doctors, surgeons, attorneys, the top of their field, making lots of money, and they're just miserable. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's like the worst part about it, which is to say, well, that's nice. You're doing something that you're obviously good at, but you, you get one life. And, you know, in a sense, like we're here and we are ability to live a life. And what you really want are people who are able to find passion and convert that into purpose and turn that purpose into, into contribution and achievement. And it's just what, what we find is that it's just really hard to do at scale if you've standardized the whole system. And the other part of the standardization covenant is that you have to know, like you have to work at what you're doing for a long time to get there, perhaps, right? And you have to know where you want to go at a really young age, like when you're 18. It's like, well, you go to college. Well, okay, you need to pick out what your major you're going to study. And this is where you're going to go into your career. If you're going to a medical school, you have to know that you're going to be in school for seven years. Even if you have no experience with medicine, you might find out you might not like it, but if you want to do that, you you, you sort of yeah. have to grit it out and, and keep doing it. You're going to find out the hard way and either suffer through a life. Like I, I actually have a, a, a friend who's a, a very, very good lawyer who confided to me not too long ago that he wished he had chosen a different profession. And I kept thinking, you know, but, but he's got student loan debt. He makes pretty good money, so he can't really, you know, like to start over. And you think... Wow, like how sad is that? That because you achieved, you're sort of trapped. And I think we do this at such an early age. You know, those of us, you know, I have two boys, and like, but the time we, the number of times people ask them, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" and they're like, "I'm like 14. Why are you asking me this?" As if, as if somehow, if you haven't already nailed down which of these predetermined destinations you're going to strive for, something's wrong with you. Right, and you highlight research in our book that you know. We our personalities aren't even really set, or just not like not till like our late mid to late twenties, right? So it's like you're asking an eighteen year old who's still whose adult brain is still developing. Hey, you got to pick the career that you're going to do when you're forty, when you might be a completely different person, and you're going to be stuck with that, right? You're going to be. You think about we're constantly changing the things that matter to us and who we are, especially at that age. And then the reality is that the environment's changing. So if I decide, yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer or whatever, but why am I making that choice? Is it because I have an uncle that's a lawyer or because I'm told that this is the safe sort of path and it's respectable? You think about all the really interesting sort of careers right now. You think about like something like a, an app developer. That, that thing, that idea didn't even exist 12, 13 years ago. That wasn't a thing. It, it, it's like the idea that you're somehow going to peg in your mind something 15, 20 years down the road and then go that direction. The reason it's so toxic is that it takes your, your eye off of what you should be focused on, which is maximizing the opportunities in front of you based on who you really are. And another part of the, the standardization covenant that you write about and to tell in the book is that it rests on the, the premise of, of meritocracy, right? That yeah. we reward talent and hard work. But you and your co-author make this really compelling case that meritocracies, or at least how they are in the standardization covenant where there's this you know, ladder you follow, um, doesn't really reward talent and hard work. Uh, explain that. Yeah. So it, look, the one we have right now, and by the way, it's, it's pretty uh, timely given the college admission scandal and you know, <laughs> the kind of things going on where it's pretty clear it's not just simply about who, who deserves to be there. But, but when you have a standardized system, so think about right now, if you just use the college example, it's not really how talented you are. Picasso wouldn't have got into Stanford's visual arts program unless he had great SAT scores. It doesn't matter what else he had to offer. So we've narrowed this thing down to a single dimension or a couple of things. And 
we're not trying to we're not trying to understand what people are good at. We're just basically force ranking them. The SAT is bell curved. It guarantees half the people fail, even if they're all qualified. When you think about like most of these institutions, like universities, they have a scarcity model of quality. They're trying to educate as few people as possible. And then they call that quality. And so basically we get we end up getting uh, ranked on one dimension on something they've decided, and then they pick a few people and they call that good. But the reality is we have a lot more to offer. People are deeply individual. Our talents are far more expansive than what fits on an, on a single test. And if we were serious about helping people really develop their talents and make contributions, we certainly wouldn't create this kind of system. So, okay, the standardization covenant is this idea that we've all sort of been enmeshed in since childhood, that you you go up the ladder, you get the degree, you do all the things so you can be better than everyone else, so you can get whatever at the end, right? You talk about something called the dark horse covenant. What is the dark horse covenant? So, it, it, it's a different social contract. And, and, and I'll just tell you as, as background, you know, like the point of the book was, you know, as, as you said at the start, we just started studying people who were incredible at what they do, um, but who didn't follow the standardized path and just trying to figure out who are these people and how do they do it? Is it just like dumb luck? Nobody should listen to them at all? Or might there be some things we could learn? And, you know, the book is really about the fact that, in fact, there are some common things that really make them capable of pursuing a different kind of life. So out of that, you realize, wait a minute, if it's not just about these folks, it's about all of us, then we can start thinking about, wait, what kind of covenant would we make with ourselves as a people if we wanted to live more fulfilling lives? And, and, and the Dark Horse Covenant would be, is simply this. Instead of, you know, know your destination, work hard, and just stay that standardized course, it is about harnessing your individuality in the pursuit of fulfillment to achieve excellence. And the difference there is pretty stark that it is about knowing who you are. Like your individuality matters and it's not selfishness. It's just your distinctiveness. And you would have an obligation to actually convert that into a fulfilling life and then make a contribution with that. And in return, our society owes you the creation of good fit. We owe you to, that we create good educational environments that actually match who you are and help develop you rather than just batch process you. And, and we create contexts at work that allow you to thrive and, and contribute the best. And it, that seems almost obvious. Of course, you would want that. But it's, it stands in stark contrast to this idea that you really don't matter. The system matters and you're just a, a cog. And for me, the important thing is, is that we just have to remember that the existing social contract we have, the standardization covenant, we we created. Nobody forced it on us. Like we agreed as a people, our you know our great grandparents did that this was an okay trade off, um, and so we can remake it tomorrow if we want to. So you, throughout the book, you you give examples of these dark horses, people who gain success in very unconventional ways, where they've found fulfillment and uh, and and purpose with their work. What are some notable examples? Who are some notable examples of some dark horses that you covered in the book? So um, from the outset, uh, it was funny because whenever we were thinking about these dark horses, the easy ones to figure out were all famous people, you know, like. Um, right. And then it, like a Richard Branson, who I, I really like as a person, I, I think he's a great guy and he is a classic example of a dark horse. But I grew up in, in rural America and, and in, in pretty poor. And for me, I said, you know, I don't, I, I like these people, but I want to talk to everyday people who didn't have a lot of money and didn't have a ton of connections, but still managed to do this because I thought if we focus there, would be likely to find patterns that would be useful for everyone. So that's what we did. So we tried really hard not to find any sort of name brands. But that said, we studied hundreds of people from all walks of life, as wide a range of professions as we could find, everything from, you know, experts at wine to embalmers, right? Like to, uh, you know, closet organizers. But, you know, some of the people that were just remarkable, interestingly, they kind of break down into like two kinds of dark horses. The one that you're probably imagining is the one that, they, they struggle early, they fail early, and then suddenly they just catch fire and they're amazing. And we, we found plenty of those. For example, like we uh, talked to uh, a woman who dropped out of school in high school, had a kid early on, was working in a fast food joint in her teens and early 20s. And you flash forward today, she's an internationally respected astronomer who has discovered a planet discovered an asteroid and did all of that, including publishing in like 
the journal Science, never having gone to college. She still doesn't even have a high school diploma. We, the other kind of dark horse that we found, which I think is even more general, were these people who were really actually fantastic at what they do. They were the people who you would say, boy, by society standards, they're successful, who reach a point in their life, they're like, this is, I'm just not happy. I'm not fulfilled. And they make these incredible pivots into stuff that you're like, really? That's where you went? And then they go off and they just do amazing things and you still don't see them coming. So for example, spoke to another woman who had actually, you would have thought was acing the standard path. She was raised by the classic tiger mom parents. And she, she finished high school at 15, finished college at 19. And then she landed a really sweet, high profile job at one of the top consulting firms when she was 20. And she was like, had this just like stellar career right in front of her. Yet a few years later, she's wakes up and recognizes she's living a life based on her parents' view of success and she's not happy. So she makes a decision to pursue what mattered to her, makes a pivot. Today, she is a chef and the mastermind behind one of the most acclaimed supper clubs in the country. No, that's awesome. My favorite that you talk about the highlight of the book is the lady who, um, Susan, she's in a, a crappy mm. marriage. Yeah. She went to a concert and at that concert, she decided, I'm going to be a sound engineer. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 she went on this path that took, you know, I think more than a decade. Yep. Yep. Uh, and she ended up being the, the princes, the artist formerly known as Prince, or is he now just Prince? Or he, yeah. Incredible, or right? It, the like, sound engineer for him. And, and, what, what I love, she's one of my favorite people in the world. This is one of the fun things about this project is you meet people and you don't want to be them. Like, I don't want to be a sound engineer, but knowing her makes me want to be a better person. She taught us that living a fulfilling life isn't all upside. Sometimes you have to get yourself out of really bad, you know, abusive relationships. You got to, there's a hole you're in. And that's, that's the starting point. But she, she said, I don't even know why. She didn't want to be a performer. She knew that. And so she's like, I don't know, this sound engineer. But, but what's so interesting and, and lays out, we lay out in the book in, in greater detail, the kind of choices she's going to make to, to really live that kind of life, including being a secretary at the place where they train people because she couldn't afford to go, but she could get enough training and convincing the military to send her some technical manuals <laughs> so that she could keep getting more training and then just doing the things that need to be done. And then what I love is, you know, there she is getting to share this moment actually back in the LA Coliseum where she left because her husband told her she had to be home in time or she was going to get beat. There she is with Prince back there enjoying this incredible success with Purple Rain and to be able to live that life. And then as, as you see in the book, you know, she goes on to do other things because she realizes this is a never-ending process. Yeah, she got her PhD and be a professor. Yeah, like, and she went to school in her 40s because it was like, there's something, the next challenge. And this is what I love about this fulfillment orientation, which is these dark horses. I, I was always surprised. I really genuinely thought that to be a dark horse, to buck this standardized system, you would have to be someone like Richard Branson. I mean, I, I know Sir Richard. He's, he's amazing. And he really loves bucking the system. I think it's just part of what really gets him off. If, if, it's, if someone else wants him to do it, he's probably not going to do it. I thought that, that most people would have to be like that. You'd have to really be able to gut it out. And that's just not what we found. And instead, what, what, without, without fail, every one of these dark horses got on their own path because they bailed on society's view of success. They bailed on the standardization idea. And they, to a person, said, success to me is about pursuing fulfillment, accomplishing things that truly matter to me. And since we're so individual, the second you commit to that, it's unavoidable that you're actually going to have to get off the beaten path once in a while. And so just what we see is time and time again, these people being able to do that and, and creating very reliable paths. And so what I liked is it would be one thing to say, oh, cool, pursue fulfillment. That's the kind of life you want to live. But what you see with these dark horses is they reveal a set of things you need to know that when you know them, it makes it a very, very stable, reliable path to success and happiness. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suit started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. 
So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Well, let's walk through um, how you can figure out what will bring you fulfillment. Because that means, like, mm-hmm. so I think one thing about making fulfillment your goal, it's great, but there's also, it's kind of it can be a two edged sword because you're like, man, that's a lot of pressure. Like, you know, because it's, it's existential. Sure. I think some people, that's why some people find <laughs> um, the standardization covenant comforting. It's like, well, here's this thing. It's already set for me. I don't have to really think about it. I'll just do it. Um, yeah. So how can you figure out what will bring you fulfillment? So you don't have that existential angst yeah. where you're like lying in bed and it's like, am I really doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and look, the, the reality is, is that pursuing a fulfilling life does have more responsibility. There's no autopilot version of this. No one can give it to you. You have to earn it yourself. But the, I, I can almost guarantee you, like as someone who's, who's a fan of what you all do, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and almost guarantee the people listening and the people on, on the website are people who actually care about this kind of stuff, your self-improvement and trying to like, you know, live their best life. So here, here's the thing. It, it, in the abstract, it can feel overwhelming. 
because absent the reliable, even if it's not that great, sort of beacons that society gives us, what do we anchor around? So what we found is that there's really like these four things that they know that that make this work. Um, and they'll sound pretty straightforward, but look, the, the first thing, and it's the most important thing, is you absolutely have to know what motivates you. And and we call it micro motives in the book because it was incredible how, how individual they are. When you think of motives, you tend to think of these a small number of them that are just big, like okay, wait, I'm competitive. Yeah, that's true. I'm pretty competitive, you know, or I like money or I like collaboration. But in reality, the things that truly get you up in the morning can be incredibly particular and and subtle and may not really apply to really almost anybody else. You know, for example, uh, we we talked to a guy who, I, I mean, no kidding, his primary motive, I mean, it's just incredible, was aligning physical objects with his hands. I actually, when when we talked to him, I, I thought this can't be true. First of all, it, it doesn't sound remotely motivating to me at all. And it just seems so particular. Really, that must, must represent something more general. But it was really specific for him and it really mattered. And he had he'd been able to convert that into, into some engineering work that had been amazing and then left that work and it fell apart on him. And then he he came back in his life later and realized he's now like the top upholstery repair person in New York and he loves it. You got to know these things about yourself because you can you can be successful by society standards without knowing who you are and what matters, but you can't live a fulfilling life, not systematically, because it's about making choices and and accomplishing things that matter to you. So the question would be like, well, then how do I how do I start to figure out what motivates me? It seems, and think about it. Schools don't help. We never ask kids ever about what really matters to them. <laughs> we, we tell them what they should care about. But what we found, and I'll give you the simple version here, and the book kind of elaborates more on it. The most, I mean, it will sound simple. I, I promise you, any listener that just puts this into play in their life will be shocked at how big of a return on investment you'll get. So it's simply like this. If you think about the things that you enjoy doing right now, whether they're at work, whether they're at home, recreation, whatever, if you start making a list of those things and ask yourself, why? Why do I like this? So my example, like, I love football. Love it. I'm passionate about it. I played it when I could. I watch it every time. Like, you know, luckily I'm in Boston, so I've, I've got the Patriots for quite a few years. So it's been, it's a good, good run. But, um, but then it's why, right? What is it about? So is it because it's competition? Is it because it's outdoors? Is it because it's collaborative, a team sport? Is it because it's strategy involved? You and I could both like football for very, very different reasons. If you know the why, it's everything. Because if you do this a couple of times with the things that you enjoy, you'll start to see patterns. And that those patterns become your real motives. And now that I know, if it's because I like collaboration and strategy, well, you know what? There's a whole bunch of other things that can also be fulfilling to me. And I understand how to find my way to those things. I love it. And I, I gave the example that I liked uh, in the book was someone who likes birds. Well, I just love birds. But like, well, you might like how birds look and that could take you down one path or you might like how birds sound and that could take someone down another path. It, it, and in fact, it did. As you were saying, like, it, it's, it's so remarkable because they get so specific and I'm like, really? There are actually people who, who end up becoming what we call like birders. There's whole professions where people like go out and discover birds and they actually are like, really interesting and important careers. I, for the life of me, would be like, I, I would rather dig ditches. I can't even imagine that. But what we found is some people were like, no, all that matters to me is the visual aspect of it. They, they, they could care less how they sound. And then some people are like, I don't even want to see them. I need to hear them. And I, they could imagine the waveform of the sound. And it, it was funny, um, after we wrote the book, there was a, a more serious conversation going on in Australia about someone who wanted to to actually was claiming they wanted to have assisted suicide and they had to leave the country. And one of the things the gentleman said, he was like, you know, a hundred. And he said, look, I used to love birds. I, I, um, I, I, I've lost my sight and all I can do is hear them. And I don't care about that. Like he'd rather like end his life than have to just hear birds. We, there, it's what motivates us is incredibly specific and no, nobody can tell you what it is, but you can figure it out for yourself. And when you start to get a hold of that, then suddenly making choices about your life becomes a heck of a lot easier. And that idea that feels scary as if you're going to drive yourself off a cliff suddenly doesn't feel as risky or scary anymore. Well, that's the next step, choices. And this is all about finding fit for your what motivates you. Yeah. And this is counterintuitive to, I mean, you kind of hear 
talk of this in the standardization covenant. You want to find a job where you fit, but like, it's like you have to fit in a certain way, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you have a predetermined cho- um, choice, right? right? Um, and you got to fit there. How is choosing differ in the dark horse covenant? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that, that we saw with dark horses with the role of choice that I think is super important to appreciate. Um, the first is, is just simply that, that actually recognizing that choice is really important because in the standardization covenant, we're actually actively discouraged. The number of real choices that we have in our life. I mean, if I go to the grocery store, I have a lot of choice because it's a market and people want to sell me stuff. But you think about the institutions that are about developing who you are, you have very, very few choices. And so what you end up doing is hoarding them when you get them and, and you hedge and it's like, ah, I, I don't want to make a mistake on this one. Like, what college am I going to go to? What major will I have, right? What's my first job? Dark horses, are, they just, they look for choice everywhere, that even small ones. And they recognize that, that there's never such thing as just an equivalent option. One, one choice is always going to be closer to fulfillment than the other. And they make them. They just, they don't hedge. They figure out what the thing is and then they jump in and do it. And, and look, when they're not always right. There were plenty of examples where people said, wow, that just didn't turn out to be the right thing. But they, are, they learn from it and they make a better choice next time. And so what, what's fascinating about that is that um, from the outside, it looks like they're just taking risky bets. It, it just really does. Even when we would talk to them, I'm like, wow, you sold everything and went to rural England to like learn about horticulture and you were like, wow, that seems like there could have been a better way to do that. Because from our perspective, we don't know their motives. We don't know their individuality. And so we're applying this very averaged lens to it. What are the odds that someone, it, it, like if we say that you want to be a, a, a programmer, we say, well, only one in 10 people get a job in Silicon Valley. And you tell me, hey, I'm going to move to Silicon Valley because I'm going to get a job as a software engineer. And I'd say, boy, that seems like a really risky choice. One in 10? Well, that's just playing the odds across everybody. And what, what dark horses do is by because they know their individuality, they can accurately judge fit better. So it's not, it's, like, it's not one in 10. If you know what motivates you and what you're good at and you understand the job that's there, it's not a guarantee, but you can know like, actually, I have a really good shot at being great at this. And so we see them recognizing choices and making them. And then the, the third aspect of it is, and this was actually pretty cool to me, and it was like eye-opening, is that often when we think about choice, we think about the choices that people show us. That actually, okay, you can do X or you can do Y. And we're like, oh, cool, that's choice. Well, not really, that's just picking. They've already decided what the options are. But it's a little bit like, um, you know, the first time you go to like a uh, burger joint, and they're like, oh, well, you can get on the menu, and then you realize there's a whole off menu that they're not telling you, but if you ask for it, you can get it, you know? <laughs> These dark horses show us this over and over again that, in fact, it's not just about doing what people give you. It's actually making your own options. Like I said, like the Susan Rogers, if she wants to be trained as a sound engineer, well, go to one of the schools that trains you. Well, that's not open to her. So she's going to work her way through to be a secretary at the place and, and make a deal that she can sit in on classes when they're available. That wasn't, that wasn't an on-menu option, but she's going to figure it out. And I think one concern that people have who have been grow- that have grown up in the standardization covenant and the the parents of these individuals is that if they go off this 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 off path route, like they're not going to be able to support themselves, they're not going to have health insurance. They're, they're going to it's all it's going to be super risky. But like Susan's a great example. Like she found a job where she could you know pay the rent, pay for food, but at the same time she was learning a skill. She she got her foot in the door. And I, I think that was, you, you made that a good point. Like a lot of these dark horses, they weren't just like these like careless daredevil risk taping type. They were actually just very smart about taking smart risks. That it's exactly right. So once, once you see their path through the dark horse lens and you start to know about who they are, and then you look at the choices they're making, you go, oh, that's really, really, that's smart. That's a, that's a very clever, you've minimized actual risk. The riskier thing is to put yourself in a situation that is like a terrible fit for who you are and then hope that things turn out. Um, but one, to your point, I think it's really important that um, when we think about things like fulfillment, if we're not careful, it can be interpreted as like just this very selfish, free riding kind of like do your thing and it doesn't really matter. It's just, it was never the case. Not only is it not okay, you, you, you have a responsibility to be responsible. And when you look at the way that dark horses made choices, 
what was interesting is you're trying to maximize fit. That's first thing. But then what was really cool, and I think this is really valuable for all of us, is you can play a little game of can I live with the worst case scenario of this choice? So, you know, nowadays I have two kids, which means I have some financial responsibility. You know, there are things that are no longer options for me because of because of the life I chose to live and I want to live. So if if I, I have a chance to make a, a, a jump, but one of those worst case scenarios is losing everything and my family suffers, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that one because I'm unwilling to live with the worst case scenario. And then what you do is you go to the next best fit. And what, you're, what they keep doing is saying, how do I get to that place where I can live with the worst case scenario and I have a good fit? And so as a, you know, as a parent, I look at that as well now and I think, so how do I know that my boys who you know are college and, and since graduated, like, how do I know the things they're doing right now are actually a path of fulfillment or just screwing off? And for me, it always comes back to that idea of taking responsibility for the choices. So when, when I think of the classic case of you know moving to Los Angeles to be an actor and parents are like, oh my goodness, this is going to be the end. What I would ask them is like, okay, wait, um, it's one thing if they're in LA They've got seven roommates. They're they're bussing tables in the evening, and they're pay, they're they're making it work. Even though for you, you go, wow, that just seems like you're struggling. That's a sign that this is a fulfilling path. Either they're going to learn something, or it's going to work out. If on the other hand, they're like, mom, dad, can you pay my rent? Mom, dad, can you get me a car? Can you get, like? That's not that's not fulfillment, right? And it it won't turn into it. So this idea of knowing who you are and being willing to take responsibility for the choices is a really important sign that you're on the right path. All right. So dark horse, they don't pick, they choose. And choice means sometimes coming up with your own choice that no one never saw before. So look for micro motivations, choose occupations that uh, fit you and your micro motivations, or maybe your and also your current circumstance. If you have kids, you might have to, the job might not fit you anymore because of you have the obligation to them. Um, the next step is know your strategies. Yeah, this is, uh, I'm, I'm, I get excited about this because this one just confronts head on this ridiculous myth in our society about the nature of talent. In, in, in the way we've been taught in our existing system is you try things and when you're not good at them, the, the response is, well, maybe I'm not cut out for that. Maybe I'm not, you know, that good at it and I'm going to move on. I, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, a simplistic explanation, but I think it's close. What we saw with dark horses, and it was just it was so remarkable, is once they've figured out what they care about and they've made a choice, well, you still have to accomplish things. It's not passive. So now you got to get good at stuff. You got to get good at things that you care about. And what they would do is they know they care about this, so they're not going to let go of it. And what you'd see is they'll try a strategy and then it doesn't work. They'll just keep cycling through strategies. And from the outside, it looks incredibly inefficient, but they're not doing the same thing over and over again. They'll just keep swapping out new strategies until the one that clicks and it clicks and they go. And what, what they teach you is that real achievement is not about some innate talent. It is about the right fit between your individuality and a strategy. And there are always multiple ways to, to get to that finish line, always. What I love about it is it, it completely changes how I think about how I'm going to make progress as an individual. And it, it was just, we saw in everything from like, you know, Rubik's Cubes to Master Psalms, how you're going to pass the hardest test in the world, basically. Almost nobody does it the same way. It's just incredible. But I, one thing I've noticed, uh, particularly you know, since I'm online, you I kind of run, interact with like the online business world, online entrepreneurs, where you, you have these people talking about living an unconventional life and they're you know whatever, but they're often they're still looking for a strategy that that sort of fits the standardized covenant. Like they're looking for like the thing that's like it'll work no matter what. They'll, they'll they they buy courses like you know pay thousands of dollars for this online course. Like <laughs> here's follow these ten steps and you will yeah. be su- uh, successful in your unconventional life. Yeah. No, I mean look, that's why that's why when we see that happen, it, it's always um, an indicator that you're actually lacking a, a, a deeper understanding of who you are because. Th- as you as you truly understand that, that becomes the anchor that you can say, look, I, I know this isn't going to work. And, and if, if you don't really have a good understanding of yourself, then you will fall back on, let me just see how society tells me to do this, because that what, what's your substitute? If you find yourself relying on the tried and true because you're hoping you're just playing the odds at that point, it's, it's okay. Just step back and realize, 
you got more work to do on understanding what truly matters to you and what you're good at. Yeah. When I, I get asked quite a bit, like, how do I start a podcast like, and, and make it successful? I was like, <laughs> man, I don't know. Like I started, start, start 10 years ago. Cause like the internet was completely different when I started and I don't know what worked for me is probably not going to work for you. Just, uh, I don't know. But think about what you did. So this is what I think is so remarkable. So you're, you obviously have a, uh, you know, lots of success, but I'm going to go ahead and wager that this was not like a, there's not a blueprint. You, no. you knew you cared about it and you got started and you make choices and, and you, you learn from people. You look at other folks and you think this, you always want to take advice and then you got to do stuff that you know works for you and try it out and let go of stuff that doesn't. And that sort of authenticity to who you are becomes fundamental to your ability to to be as good as possible at what you're doing. Well, another part of this Dark Horse Covenant uh, sort of tactic is you have to ignore the destination, which is like completely counter from the standardization covenant where you have to know like, you know, when you're, like you said, like your kids, when they're eight years old, they're getting asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like they know their destination. With a Dark Horse, they typically don't. I think what's really important here is destination isn't the same thing as goals. You should have goals, but goals when they're useful are like, we call them like smart goals, specific, (laughs) measurable, actionable, whatever. Yeah, it's one thing to say like, okay, I want to start a podcast. Well, there's certain things I need to get better at. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to learn how to interview. I'm going to learn how to whatever. Okay. But yeah, if you start talking about things that are 10, 15 years out that are contingent on a bunch of other things, first of all, that destination, I guarantee you won't look like that by the time you get there. The other thing is, is it may be an actual terrible fit for who you really are. Um, and so what dark horses do, and I think is, I mean, just profoundly important, is by ignoring, you, you'd never hear them say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Say, that's just a dumb question because it will corrupt your decision-making process. Because the second I latch on to something far in the distant, and I don't really know why I'm doing it, um, I lose sight of the fact that every single day I have choices to make. Every day. We all do, big and small. And they need to be made based on a a real understanding of who you are, what matters to you, what motivates you. And it is that consistent ability to make those kind of choices that will carve out your path, that'll give you the best chance to be excellent because you are fulfilled. The quickest way to wreck that is to pick what society is telling you to be 10 years from now and start making choices based on that. Yeah, I think you quoted Paul Graham in the book. He says a lot of the successful entrepreneurs that he's encountered, they don't have... 10-year plans. Like they're just, they've got a goal. They're looking at the next goal. That's, right. that's pretty much of it. Of course, right? Like that, it, it's how you, it, the truth is, is anybody that's been successful, this is how you become really successful. And it's only in, in hindsight that it all looks like it's stitched together in some perfect preordained plan. It, but, but the reality is the most important choices most of us make when we feel like we're leading successful lives are these incredible twists and turns that you just never would have thought would be there for you. And you would have been blind to had you not been looking for them. Right. You use the concept of gradient ascent. It's like how, yeah. how people can it, climb mountains. Yeah, right? isn't that, like, that's, that's, we, we couldn't help it. At the end of the day, we're scientists and we, <laughs> we had to slip back into, you know, when we think about how we model complex problems that don't have solutions, it, it feels intractable. But actually, the thing called gradient ascent in, in, in computer science, that's, it turns out you can find the answer to anything. You just have the algorithm take a few steps in a direction look around and say, look, am I making progress toward the peak or am I going down? And if you're making progress, go forward again. You can, you can make that step-by-step process and, and actually maximize a mathematical solution. And it actually, I think, is a good metaphor for life. You don't actually have to already know the peak you're aiming for in order to get there. You just don't. And what's nice about the, these the sort of four ways to figure out the, the thing that'll bring you fulfillment, it's very fluid, right? It's not like, I mean, this, your micromotives could change as you get older. Like sure. what your micromotives were when you're 20 might be different when you're 35. For sure. And, and what's nice is that, um, and I hope they are, what, what a boring life if the exact same thing. What, what, what I think is really powerful about this is, you know, I have a, a, a colleague and friend who I was just with a couple of days ago who was explaining that, you know, forever she was in love with spreadsheets. Like that was her thing. And she said she woke up one day after like a decade of being awesome at this stuff in her work and was like, I I can't touch another spreadsheet. I literally just hate it. It was like her spreadsheet moment. Now, had she not understood that it wasn't about spreadsheets, it was actually about, there was like a, there's a logic to what I was doing. So it was the logic that she liked. So she was able to immediately like, you know what? Great. So I'm going to move on. 
I'm going to do something different. So she was able to engineer this consistent fulfillment, even though the environment's changing. And so this sense of understanding that that's how fulfillment works allows you, like if you're in a job and the, and they're like, whoop, the job's done. You loved it. You thought you'd find a perfect fit. Guess what? If you have a good understanding of these basic principles, you can make the next move. Similarly, if suddenly I'm just like, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not as competitive as I used to be. Okay, well, I can be aware of that because I'm feeling it. I can feel it in, in my day-to-day experience. I can reassess and I can make a new choice. So to me, this understanding of pursuing fulfillment to, to achieve excellence puts so much control in an individual's hands. Regardless of circumstances, you can carve out a fulfilling life. And it sounds like you can even apply this in professions that have that more standardization covenant hierarchy, like a doctor or attorney or uh, yeah. a corporate suit. Yeah, even when yeah, even when even when even when the gatekeeping aspect is really rigid, it's super hard. You're not becoming a doctor without going through some specific things. We we see it all the time. Is when you get into the profession, you realize well, it's almost crazy that we call it the same thing. The range of things you could do and still be a lawyer is remarkable. And so the ability to still say, like, even though I've I've come through the straight and narrow because I had to, I can still keep optimizing even within that profession in ways that can be everything from completely unsatisfying to incredibly fulfilling. And what's nice about that, I think this idea is it takes pressure off young or it can take pressure off young people. They really understand it. It's like, okay, you're 24. You don't have to have this all figured out now. You you have a long time to figure. It's it's like a lifetime. It's a lifetime process. It is a process. I mean, uh, that almost seems cliche, but it it really is. And the thing is, is that I feel like, and, and and you know, with my own kids, I mean, this is always the litmus test for me: is would I do I really want them to live by this book? And and I can honestly say yes. I feel extremely confident that this is a way for them to live the kind of life they want to live. It's empowering. It can be a little scary. Like I said, you lose lose sight of the the, the things that you've been told all your life are, are the sure signs of of how you ha- have success. But once you get into the habit of this, of being true to who you are and learning how to make choices and, and learn from them quick, not only is it do you end up places that are just super interesting and and, and successful, but the, the 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 journey is actually interesting. It's, it's actually enjoyable. And and I think nowadays. What more could you ever want as a person or as a parent than to have yourself or your children be able to have a life that, that is that rich and meaningful? So we got the standardization covenant. It was created to benefit institutions. It allows us to educate a lot of people at once, hire people, at, you know, all, a bunch of people all at once. But then you have this dark horse covenant that's very focused on the individual and it's personalized. So there's sort of this conflict there. How do you think we can resolve that, particularly in, in, in the world of education where, you know, you, you grow up, you, you get put into a system where you're sitting in the desk, the teacher lectures, the same thing to, to all the kids. How can you develop a dark horse education within that system? Yeah, look, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, under this new covenant, the truth is what we're changing now is the purpose of these systems. You take something like education. The purpose of education is actually to batch process kids and sort them into predetermined outcomes that society has said they want. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's that's what we do. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't have amazing teachers, doesn't mean we have caring adults, but it is the purpose of the system. If you now want a system who sees its job to understand and help develop each kid to their full potential, and more importantly, help these kids figure this out for themselves, that's a very different system. And now you could almost think like, well, that seems impossible. But the good news is with my think tank, I mean, we actually engage in this kind of systems change work every day. There are some remarkable things going on. And at the core of this big change in the purpose of education is actually a focus on more personalized systems that care about individuality. And this is almost crazy to me because what's odd is we figured out how to personalize almost every other aspect of our lives. But when it comes to our kids and their education, we seem shockingly content with the status quo, but we shouldn't. Our education system doesn't match our capabilities for personalization. And frankly, we're letting our kids down right now. So I mean, what are some things that have been done to, I mean, just sort of a highlight of some of those things? Yeah, no, look, I, I am wildly optimistic about where our public education system will be in, in a decade or so. Like, it, we know the purpose is wrong. We're trying like crazy. We have the tech to be able to do something different. So here's here's the handful of things that have to shift that are shifting. Actually, I'll I'll tell you the one that I think is 
must have and is, is already happening, which is you have to shift toward what we call mastery learning, which means allowing kids to learn at their own pace until they truly understand the material rather than just passing kids from grade to grade as long as they don't fail. And the good news is that mastery learning is already taking hold all around the country. In fact, there's actually, you think about something like Khan Academy, where basically anyone can, can do that online and schools use it all the time. But you go to something like the state of Idaho, which is literally committing to making mastery learning the core of how things happen. And what's so great about it is when you shift away from a fixed amount of time and then you just rank kids with a grade um, to mastery learning, what we see without fail is that kids were turn out to be just far more capable than we ever imagined. That like with just a little more time and support, what one kid can do academically, most kids can do. And so for me, that's not only good for the individual. When you think about the kind of talent we're about to unleash with, with a system that's focused on mastery, it, it makes me pretty um, hopeful about the future. Well, Todd, this has been a great conversation. Is there someplace people can go to learn more about the book and your work? Sure. You could go to toddrose.com or on, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at L Todd Rose. Fantastic. Well, Todd Rose, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Like I say, it was Todd Rose. He's the co-author of the book, Dark Horse. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, toddrose.com. That's Todd with two Ds. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash darkhorse, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives. There's over 500 episodes there as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years about money and career, physical fitness, how to be a better husband, better father. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS, get a month trial for free. After you signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only to listen to the AWIN podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.